This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. Did I live? Did I love? Did I matter? Did I live? Did I love? Did I matter? Now, these three questions mark the life and business of the motivational speaker Brandon Bouchard. In fact, his questions so resonate with people that Brandon drew tens of millions of followers and he's known right now as the highest paid motivational speaker and personal development trainer in the world. Tens, if not hundreds of millions of people are drawn to personal development trainers like Tony Robbins, Oprah Winfrey, Brandon, Zig Ziglar who has passed away and many others because people want to know that there is meaning in their life, that there is a purpose to live for. In the deeply personal and thought-provoking book by Viktor Frankl, he was the survivor of the Auschwitz concentration camp in World War II, he wrote this, Viktor said, those who have a why to live can bear with almost anyhow. Those who have a why to live can bear with almost anyhow. Because for anyone to survive the impossible Nazi concentration camp, the inmates need to have a why to keep going for another day. Arguably one of the most influential books, um, Victor's book is titled Man's Search for Meaning. The title itself speaks volume because as humans, you and I, we long for more than just food and drinks. We want to have reasons to live. In fact, at some point in our lives, we will ask questions like, what does it mean to be a human? What is the purpose of my life? Perhaps that's the reason why you come today, because you have questions like that and you want an answer for it. Now, all of us, consciously or unconsciously, we long to find meaning and we long to grab hold of the purpose to life. That big question, why am I here? Now, we love inspiring quotes. Do you like inspiring quotes? We love inspiring quotes like Peace Pilgrims, this lady who said, human has only scratched the surface of his real potential. We love it. We love to know that we have unlimited depths of potentials that are untapped. And perhaps that's why the words of the late US President Jeff Kennedy rings a bell when he says, and he calls upon the United States to do the impossible. He said, we choose to go to the moon in this decade and do these other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. And following on his words, Neil Armstrong, the first man who stood on the moon, said, This is one small step for man, a giant step for mankind. Now, dear friends, whether we are religious or we are not religious, we have an inner desire to recognize that we are significant, that there are reasons for us to live. Our lives matter. Now, as humans, this is what we do. We celebrate achievements. We, we fight for human dignity. We sing about 
human love that goes beyond our lifetime. We cling on to precious memories of our past because they matter. And we get inspired by great speeches about our future together. We run for them because we secretly believe there's something greater in us as humans and as individuals that you and me. Now dear friends, as you arrive here today, let me ask this question for you. Have you ever asked yourself, why are you here? It means perhaps some of us have gone through half our lifetime, perhaps less, perhaps more. Why are you living here on earth? What is your purpose in this short, momentary life? Or perhaps let me ask other questions. Have you ever been inspired or stirred when you read or hear some life quotes that tells you you are greater than what you think you are? Well, men or women search for meaning, as Victor says, it's a reality that we all come to whenever we pause for a moment to think about our life's journey. Now friends, welcome to Life in Four Meals. I'm really thankful that you're here today, that you choose to spend your Sunday afternoon instead of doing all the other things to be here thinking about life together. And I sincerely hope you'll find your time here well spent. Perhaps that's why you're here. You have worked hard for the last 11 months, or perhaps much, much longer. And at this month, you decide, just for this week, taste it, and maybe for four weeks, that you just pause and give yourself the time to think about your life. Just a while to pause and think about where you are heading. I'm very thankful you're here to pause and think together. So during these four weeks, we're going to take a journey of life together to discover life and what the Bible has to say about it. Through these four meals, we had one just now to taste. We'll journey to the story of humanity and to seek to answer four questions over these four weeks. One question for each week. The first question is, why are we here? The second question is, why is life so messy? The third question is, what is the solution? And the final question will be, where are we heading towards? I hope you'll take this journey together with us. And with that now, I want to invite you as we step into the Bible to learn about the purpose of our lives. I just want to say this, that it may come as a surprise for some of us. That for us to understand the story of humanity, we'll never be able to unless we know the story of God. Because unlike our world's approach, our personal development, our motivation, talks or speakers, unlike the world that tells us the way to approach purpose in life is to discover what is it. But the Bible says to understand the purpose of life is not by discovery, it's by revealing to you. Because here's the difference. When you think that life's purpose is by discovery, it will always be subjective. Your discovery and my discovery is always subjective. But if it's a revelation, it is objective that is given to you. So I would like to invite you to ponder about it and the possibility of this together. And so beautifully, the Bible begins by telling us that everything about humanity, including our purpose, is intricately linked to the story of God. And with that, let me invite us to step into the first lake of this four weeks journey to answer the question, why are we here? We begin by reading the very first line 
of the ancient book, the Bible. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Let me read this to you. It's in your bulletin. It says this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, one of the most important descriptions about God in the very first sentence of the Bible is that God is a creator. He's not created. God is a creator. He's not a created Imagine a painter like Van Gogh. Perhaps imagine for a moment that famous 1888 painting by Van Gogh called the Cafe Terrace at Night. Got a picture up there. As you look at the picture, imagine as you look at it, the beautiful painting with that little figures of people sitting at a distance drinking. You have huge lanterns high up there that light up the terrace, the gables of the houses on the streets. Uh, leads away under the blue sky studded with stars. Now while you admire this painting by Van Gogh, you need to recognize this painting is not Van Gogh himself. He is the painter, not the painting. Or perhaps while you enjoy uh, a beautiful um, work like The Lord of the Rings by J.R.R. Tolkien. Does anybody like that book? Uh, it's one of my favorites. Uh, imagine stepping into the imaginary Middle Earth, encountering each of the heroes and the villains, feel the magical ring, precious, or the drink, drinking the ale that makes the ha- hobbits the happiest creatures in the whole Middle Earth. I, I tried it out when I went to New Zealand uh, more than 10 over years in my honeymoon. They call it sobering. Imagine drinking the ale of the hobbits. No, you can feel the presence of Tolkien's pen as you go into the Middle Earth, but you will never see Tolkien in the Middle Earth because he is the creator. He's not the created. The Bible says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. There is this one creator who is himself uncreated. He revealed himself as God. And then we go on to the rest of the first chapter of Genesis and we see a very carefully crafted description that goes like this verse 2 look at it with me now the earth was formless and empty darkness was over the surface of the deep the spirit of God was hovering over the waters and God said let there be light and there was light God saw that the light was good and he separated the light from the darkness God called the light day and the darkness he called night and there was evening and there was morning the first Day. Now, as you let your eyes scroll down the passage and read on Genesis 1, we'll notice a carefully scripted pattern there describing God's creation. It, it always begins with saying, with, with this, that God says, Let there be. As you read on, and it happened. Now, as God created the world and everything in it, He describes His creation as it's good. It's good. And the passage will conclude each category orderly, saying that there was evening, there was morning, the first day, or second, and third, and so on. Or for example, verse 3, look at it. Again, he says, And God said, Let there be light. And then you realize, And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. He goes on with further descriptions. There was evening, there was morning, another day. And if you go further, verse 6, And God said again, And it happens. So in this pattern, the creation uh, account continues on. Do you, do you see the pattern? 
let, let your eyes go down um, the passage itself. Do you see at verse 9, the pattern comes in. God said, verse 11, God said, verse 14, God said, verse 20, God said, verse 24, God said, and finally verse 27. You know, each beginning with God said, and the creation happens. Now this beautiful depiction of creation, Genesis 1, in the recent year has been mistaken uh, or mistakenly placed next to modern science as if this ancient book of thousands of years was actually a Christian science textbook. Have you heard of that? It is a pity if we look at it this way because we will quickly miss out what is meant to say, what this introductory passage or chapter of Genesis paves the way for the rest of the ancient book that you hold in your hands. No. It is an introduction, actually, of God the Creator and the place each creation has. What it's telling us is that nothing is accidental. You are not an accident. Never. And neither am I. Everything is lovingly crafted and created in an orderly manner and each has its own place in this world. It is a beautiful depiction of creation. And now here is a significant a significance of the creation account of the Bible that for thousands of years people turn to when they need answers. Because this is the case until recent years. In the past, up to the ancient Near East time, people will always worship the sun, the moon, the stars, and other great creatures. In the biblical account of Genesis, in this ancient book, it turns the other way. It proclaims that everything was created by one uncreated God. The Bible begins by telling us we are not gods, nor the sun, nor the moon, nor the stars. Nothing is random, nothing is accident. Everything has its origin and purpose. Now, this is a stark contrast to, um, to the ancient beliefs. And this stark contrast is consistent in the whole book of the Bible. Let me just give you an example. Just perhaps 3,000 years back, about 1,000 BC, there is this great poet, a uh, Hebrew poet by the name David. He's a king. Uh, you can find his sculpture by Michelangelo. He wrote plenty of poems about God. And let me just give you a snippet of what he says. This is what he says in Psalms 19, verse 4 to 6. One of snippet of his many poems. He said this. It, it's a poetry. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. He rises at the one end of the heavens and makes his circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. So this is the case even for David's time, the poet. While the rest of the ancient world, his time, they worship the constellation, they worship sun and moon and stars, they worship animals, they worship some humans, they worship a mix of animals and humans. The poet David says to those who are God's people, Hey guys, that's not how it works. Look at the sun, do you like it? Do you enjoy its warmth? Well, it's created and cared for by God. God puts the blanket over him where he goes to bed. It, it, it's really just poetry. But it's pointing out that you know, David is just animating. The sun is like the bridegroom or the champion. God takes care of him so that he runs his race so that we enjoy the warmth. Such that when we look at the sun, we don't say, you are God, but it says, how God has taken care of you. 
and now we enjoy what you are giving to us. But the uncreated God, or imagine perhaps you are reading the great classic, let's come back to the Lord of the Rings by Tolkien's. No, he is totally involved in creating the characters. When you read it, you have the hobbits, you have the elves, you have the dwarves. He's totally involved in creating the laws and the limitations that the Middle Earth will have, the rules for it. Yes, we, we may get a sense and taste of Tolkien's creativity when you read or even imagine yourself in the Lord of the Rings, but to know Tolkien himself, you can never do it in Lord of the Rings. Unless he write a biography of himself explaining who he really is, we are merely tasting the personality of Tolkien's. And likewise, God is not part of the created world and he has to reveal himself rather than for us to discover him in the midst of creation. So as we read a creation account in the Bible, it is also distinctively different from the thought process of the worldview that is around you and around me. Take, for example, the famous isms that we have. Um, For example, we have um, pantheism. Pantheism thinks that basically the world is God, but right in the ancient book it says, the world is not God. Or perhaps materialism and where we come from, atheism, which basically suggests that there is no God. And the Bible tells right in the beginning there is a God. Or panatheism, they say, well, perhaps there's a God, there, is, there are creatures, but we, we take care of each other. You scratch my back, I scratch your back, and the scripture says, the Bible says, it doesn't happen that way. That he created and he takes care. You know, in our human research and archaeology, one of the oldest findings we have are the archaeology uh, artifacts that we find from the ancient Near East or the Mesopotamian era. It's long, long time back from us. Those are the earliest we have. And the Mesopotamian mythology goes this way, that it was the goddess Mami, M-A-M-I. Um, she was said to have created humans to lighten the workload of the gods. That was the early ones that you have. Like your iRobots or your Mitsubishi washing machine. Um, we do the jobs that the, the gods don't want to do. That was our purpose. But again, the biblical account of Genesis proclaims right there in the ancient days, the very opposite. It says, we are not created to lighten the works of the gods. Instead, we are created by God and he takes care of us like a father would to a child. Now, why do we spend a fair bit of time trying to understand God in the midst and its relation to creation? <clears throat> because for us to understand, for us to understand the purpose of humanity, why are you and I here on earth, we cannot merely discover it. We cannot merely discover our purpose. It needs to be revealed to us. Now take the example of an intricate, uh, intricate uh, Swiss handmade watch that takes years to make. We can discover its function, isn't it? But we can never discover why the watchmaker spent years of his life to make that one watch. When you can go to the supermarket and find a $5 one. Through science and physics, we can discover how the mechanics of our body works. We can, can't we? 
but we can never discover why we are here. Perhaps take the beautiful painting by Van Gogh that we look at just now. We can discover its compositions, the chemicals. If you're a chemist, you can describe what are the compositions to make the different paints, the, the, the blue, the, the yellow, the green, or kind of mix blue and yellow to green. If you're a chemist, you can come up with compositions, but we can never discover why the artist chose to paint that masterpiece. So in the same way, through science, biology, we can discover the compositions of our human body uh, that can be very similar to the monkeys, and some claim that we are quite near to the cats. We are 90% similar in genes, or even the cow. I may be wrong, I'm just reading, I'm not a chemist or biologist. We may discover that the compositions that we are made up of, but none of these discoveries reveal to you or me, why are you here on earth? Why am I here and am I here on earth? What is the purpose of human? So for us to understand the purpose of humanity, of why you and I are here, we have to get to know the Creator and get Him to tell us why He creates us. What we need to know is not how He made us, but the intricate details of how we are, are formed. Although I am very thankful that my nose is pointing downwards and not upwards because it's raining out there. But the point of understanding is not to ask how he made intricacy, why he chose two ears, one nose, one mouth. Well, maybe we do know if you're married. That's not the question. What we need to know is why did God make us? And so it is here that we come to verses 26 to 31 of the passage in your hand. And it is actually the climax of creation account. And it is here that we come to understand the purpose of humanity. It is here we find the answer to our question. Why are we here? So would you just look at the passage together with me from verse 26 to 31. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So here's the point. After God had created everything in heavens and earth, earlier in verse 3 to 25, after creating the constellation, the vegetation, and all the other animals, in an orderly manner, each in his kind, verse 26 tells us God made mankind. Now I want to do an exercise with you. Let's look at verse 26 and 27. Look at what is being emphasized there. It might be helpful for you not to wear a scientist's hat. It might be helpful to wear a elite student's hat. What is the emphasis of verse 26 and 27? Why is it written this way? Let's take a look. Verse 26. God made mankind his own image. And again, verse 27. God created mankind in what? In his own image. And with poetic emphasis, he said again, in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Now, dear friends, it would be a mistake to read a creation account thinking of science or biology. Because the focus of this creation account is not biology, it is identity. It's 
not biology, it is identity. Humans, we are made in the image of God. We need to know God to know ourselves because we are made in the image of God himself. Now dear friends, why do we love inspiring quotes like Peace Pilgrim who said, humans has only scratched the surface of its real potential? Why do we love a reminder that we are significant? Why does marriage work really well if you let the other person know that he or she is significant? Because they are. Why do we write history so that we are not forgotten? Why do we sing songs about eternal love when we know not eternity? Why are we the only species that will spend our whole life seeking achievements that do not feed our stomach? Do you realize we are the only ones who are willing to spend our whole life for achievements that will not feed you at all? To create perfect music, to write poetry, to paint dreams. No, like many artists, Van Gogh, he died as a penniless man at the age of 37. In his short life, he left behind 2,000 creations. He sold only one in his lifetime. The anguish, he didn't do it for money. He had only sold one. In his anguish, this is what Van Gogh said, by the way he killed himself. This is what he says in his anguish. I can't change the fact that my paintings don't sell. But the time will come when people will recognize they are worth more than the value of the pains used in the picture. Now dear friends, like Van Gogh, we too crowd within us that we are worth more than just the compositions that we are made up of. Or our jobs. Or the money we have. Whether we are rich, whether we are poor, whether we are male or female, whether we are famous, we are not. As humans, we have an innate desire and need to protect our human dignity. Is that no wonder that the world is being moved? Millions are being spent to rescue 12 boys and a coach from a cave in Thailand because the world knows that life is precious. We know that. Now, one of the most frightening rumors that circulated during World War II was this, that the Nazis produced soap from the bodies of concentration inmates. Have you heard of that before? It could well be a rumor, but it sends shivers down our spine. The next time you read this account, as you go home and press the soap to wash your body, it says, that is what we are worth in our compositions. Why do we ask questions like that? Why are human life precious? We ask that, why do we sing songs of eternity? Why do we take photos to, immor- to immortalize the relationships of the loved ones who will pass away soon? Why do we set up monuments knowing that these people wouldn't even know? Perhaps we hope that they do. We do not want to be forgotten. Well, the reason the Bible gives us is that unlike all other creatures, humans are made in the image of God. We are created with a special relationship with God and we are given a purpose in life. See what God says in verse 28. 
God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Now, while we, you and I, we may never ever be the strongest creature or the fastest two legs, but yet we continue to rule the world. It's not an accident. It's not just DNA. Rather, it's part of God's intention because God has created us in His image to rule the world on His behalf. The original intent of humanity is to be fruitful, to multiply, so that we can take care of and subdue this world. So perhaps it's not surprising the Fly to the Moon speech by JFK brings in the dough to send man to the moon. Because we are created to subdue the world. Now, what we must not miss out in this whole creation account, really the central of it is the relationship between God, humanity, and the rest of creation. We must remember, we must never forget, in this account, the point is, we are made in His image in order to rule on His behalf. No, He made us in His image and he gave us his authority. It's, it's like the ancient king. Imagine an ancient king with a premier. When he assigned this man to be a premier, or this lady, we can have it as well, that the premier rules over the king's world. As long as the premier recognizes his authority comes from the king. And to show further how the relation works, we read in verse 29. Have a look at it with me, would you? Verse 29. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. No, unlike the ancient Mesopotamian myth whereby humans are created by the goddess to do their dirty laundries and to feed them because they are too lazy to work, the scripture tells us God created the tasty salad as well. My wife and Andrew's wife did some, but uh, the, the, the root of it comes from God of the durians or the alternatives for us. is given to us as food and he extends that to the animals and the other creatures. So from a physical perspective, Let's think of us as a physical perspective. We may not be that different from the rest of creatures in terms of compositions. Because we all need food to survive. We need environment. We need oxygen. We need water to grow. We're not much different or greater in terms of compositions. But from the identity perspective, we are way superior. Because we are made in the image of God to subdue the rest of the world on God's behalf. That's why when God completed all his creation work, verse 31, he says this. Look at it. He says, God saw that all he had made and it was very good. If you've been following the account, everything God made from the beginning, he said, this is good, 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 good. But when he reached the climax of creation and when he has finally completed creating man, humans, he says, this is very good. My image bearer. Genesis 2 will fill in more details on this. Let me just read. This is not a continuation. This is a bit more detail of that creation account. Let me just read that 
few verses from Genesis 2, 15 to 17. The Lord God took the man, put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. The Lord commanded, the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Now if you have time, go back, um, grab a Bible. If you don't have one, I'm sure our church can give you one. Genesis 2 fills in more details of the relationship between God and humans. Because after creating humans, God placed them in this perfect garden called Eden. And it's there that humans begin to learn to care for the rest of creation. Now as we enjoy our delicious salads, if some of you had, or the vegetable juice, if there were some that you drank, the fruits and nuts just now, they are mere reminder to us of that perfect garden God initially put humans there. It's not just about the fruits or the food. It is a reminder of a perfect relationship God, man had with God. And the perfect relationship man is meant to have to rule over the world. In fact, the rest of creation would have originally enjoyed human rule because they can trust that we'll do it perfectly well. That would have been the original intent. In fact, the picture of the perfect garden was just meant to continue forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Now these are part of what it means to be created in the image of God and to have relationship with God. Now I first read this quote from a, a Christian apologist called Ravi Zechariah. He quoted this man called William James Durant. He's a renowned historian, philosopher, and he has written a lot of books uh, about history and things like that. And Will Durant, he wrote this. He said, The greatest question of our time is not communism or individualism, not Europe versus America, not even the East versus the West. It is whether man can bear to live without God. Now dear friends, as we run up today's first session, Durant's question, can man or humans live without God, is crucial to answer the question of human purpose. Because without knowing God, we will always be trying to discover our purpose. We'll be paying lots of money trying to discover the purpose within us. But like a painting without a painter, like an exquisite man-made watch without its maker, like a universe without its creator, all our efforts, we may just discover some functions. We may suggest some subjective reasons to exist, but we will never discover the objective purpose that we have. Because it can't be discovered. No, dear friends, the Bible begins telling us we do not discover our purpose, rather God reveals it to us. And this is our purpose as we sum it up. We are created for a relationship with God over us, a relationship with each other, and our relationship and rule over creation. We are meant to live perfectly under God. We are meant to have perfect relationship with each other. We are meant to rule perfectly over the world. And we are meant to do it forever, like a branch that's connected to the source of eternal life. But something happened that broke the relationship between humans 
And God, something happened that caused humans now to experience pain and the death that none of us wants. Something happens that makes it impossible to live in a utopian or perfect world or to ever have a perfect relationship. If you recognize the original intent of the perfect garden, the next time you have a salad, remember that between God and man and creation, there was meant to be a perfect relationship. You and I will not be surprised as we just look around our world to see that we humans are always with deep-seated desires for greater things. We will not be surprised that we want to live a longer life. We should not be surprised that people are not satisfied with imperfect relationships. We should not be surprised that people will give their whole life trying to make that perfect tune, to draw that perfect painting, to want that perfect look. We should not be surprised that we want joy that satisfies, a deep hunger that just can't be satisfied. We shouldn't be surprised because we are meant to fill that up in that perfect garden. But something happened. The question is what? So for the, for the rest of the next three weeks, we will continue with this journey, now that we know our purpose, to ask, why then is life so messy? What is the solution to that? And finally, where are we headed for? And I pray that you continue to come back next week and the next few weeks as we engage with life before 2018 ends. Let's close this time by praying. Oh, Creator God, how amazing you created us and how amazing that we're made in the image of you even though many of us do not even know that truth. Father, we pray as we end 2018 as we've worked hard for the last 11 months that you help us to give ourselves a chance to pause, give ourselves a chance to think about our own lives or what is left ahead and what has passed behind. Help us to think about what life is all about. And we pray that as we engage with your word, that you will tell us truthfully, clearly, and grant us hope, so that we can fulfill those deep-seated desires that we always want but can never get. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at busypc.sg